All right, welcome to another episode of IoT This Week. I am your host, Craig Smith. So this week we've got some interesting things, uh, more about malware, um, which seems to be an ongoing topic on the podcast, um, and it's about it's malware with yet another twist. Um, we also have dead IoT devices, declining credit card fraud, iPhone data extraction, and much more. This is episode 38 of IoT This Week. Okay, so let's get things started with, you guessed it, malware. So there is a new Mirai malware variant, and it's called OMG. And it turns infected IoT devices into proxy servers. So as you can probably imagine, when it comes to proxy servers, they're probably being set up so that um, whoever can surf through those proxies and be able to hide their um, source IP address. So... If your router, say your home router, gets infected with this, it turns it gets turned into a proxy server. Someone can use this particular device to, you know, surf the internet or do whatever malicious things through that compromised router running this particular malware on it. <clears throat> and anybody on the destination destination side, they'll only see traffic coming from your house. So anything the attacker does through the proxy is going to look like it's coming from your house and your compromised router. So the <clears throat> the other thing is the variant also appears to be using the open source software 3 proxy to serve as the proxy server. So yet another interesting twist to um, IoT malware. So up next we have ARM and they are planning to use SIM cards to help secure the Internet of Things. So this could be an interesting approach. So it looks like they're either going to be using um, the physical SIM cards like you normally have in mobile phones and so forth, or they may be looking to use eSIMs of some sort, which eSIMs are what's in the Apple Watch. So the SIM would be used in an Enclave environment, and that Enclave environment would be based on ARM's secure core, core approach and it would be compliant with GSM. So this will be interesting to see how this plays out and see if they can make this particular implementation of SIM cards work in IoT devices. There are some known issues, especially with SIM cards when they're used with mobile devices. A lot of times it's got to do more with the um, particular phone company's support personnel getting socially engineered more than it does the actual SIM card, but there still are um, issues with SIM cards and security. Maybe it won't that be that big a deal when it comes to the Internet of Things, um, since it's a little bit different case or different usage than mobile phones, but we'll see. All right, so up next we have a interesting short article from IoT Analytics, and they put together a top 10 IoT segments in 2018 as they see them, and they base this top 10 list on 1,600 IoT projects. So the projects they included in this list had to meet some kind of criteria in order to make it on the list. But the way they have the list drawn up, so it's number one is smart city, two is connected industry, three is connected building, four is connected car. Actually, I thought connected car might be a little higher than industry and building. Next, we have up smart energy, 
Six's other, so I'm not exactly sure what is all what all is included in other. Uh, I guess it could be consumer IoT, maybe, but probably not since consumer IoT isn't really a big project per se, but lots of lots of small projects from individual manufacturers. Seven is connected health. Eight is smart supply chain. Nine is smart agriculture. And 10 is smart retail. Again, I would have thought maybe smart retail might have been a little higher than agriculture. But um, anyway, that's how they laid the list out. So pretty interesting. And then next up, we have an article about a topic which we could probably devote an entire podcast to. So it has to do with car companies and the driver data they're collecting from cars as cars become more and more connected. And not to get too deep into it, but I think the lesson here um, when you read the article is that it's probably already happening. Given the amount of data that's going through cars now, car companies are probably already selling that data. And it's probably going to becoming, you know, be happening more and more as time goes on. And like I said, as cars become more and more connected. You know, one of the big things I worry about is... We get to this point, especially with insurance companies, we get to this point to where insurance companies start collecting or able to, or they're able to have visibility into real-time data from your cars. So, you know, when you do one little thing, you stomp on the gas too hard or, you know, you break the speed limit by five miles per hour in real time, your automobile insurance will go up. So, yeah, that's that one's a little scary. Plus all the other things I'm sure that they can think of insurance companies and everybody else can think of to do with that data. So anyway, like I said, it's a pretty huge topic and it's only going to get to be more of a concern, especially from a privacy perspective, as car companies collect more and more data and cars become even more connected than they are today. And then last but not least, under IoT, and I think this is something we may have, I'm pretty sure we've talked about in podcast in the past, and that's with all the consumer IoT devices out there, you know, these things, companies put these products out there, they eventually, especially if they don't make any money, the companies will basically be like, hey, you know what, it's not making any money, so let's just turn the service off. So now you have all these dead IoT devices out there that people paid for and that are no longer functional or they stay functional or or they retain some of their functionality and people continue to use them and at that point they aren't getting any more security updates they're on the internet vulnerabilities aren't getting patched and now they just turn into more things that can be used as botnet but in this particular article there's and i didn't even know staples had this it's called the staples connect iot hub so they basically had this, they were basically selling this as something that connect that could be a hub for all your IoT devices in your house, but apparently it wasn't very successful, so they're killing this thing off like lots of other things that have been killed off in the IoT world. And that's one of the, kind of the risk in being a early adopter of IoT tech is this may happen. The company may decide, hey, it's not making any money, or we don't want to support it anymore, and just kill it off. And now you've got basically a useless device. And like I said, sometimes, you know, the IoT device will continue functioning in a limited manner. Maybe you can still use it. But usually, you know, once they once a company kills these things off, they're also killing off the service that's running behind the IoT device. So that's stuff like services that let you talk to that device via your mobile device or whatever. 
they'll usually cease operation on those as well, um, pretty much making the device useless, especially if you want to access that device from a remote location. All right, so on to InfoSec, and this first story under InfoSec is amusing, if not typical, of the U.S. government. So, what, a little over 10 years ago, the U.S. government decided they wanted chips in all their U.S. passports. But apparently, according to this story, when you take one of these passports that has a chips through the border and they read these chips, they, they have never been authenticating these chips prior to reading the data off, off of them. So, so essentially, people can put whatever they want to on these chips, and the Border Patrol simply reads the data off those chips but doesn't do anything to authenticate that the chips haven't been tampered with or anything like that. And according to the article, they've never done that. And they were informed back in 2010 by the GAO, which is, I think, the, if I remember right, it's the county, the government accounting office. The GAO notified the Customs and Border Patrol of this issue back in 2010, and apparently it still has not been rectified. So that's uh, that's a little scary, to be honest, that they aren't doing anything to ensure that these chips haven't been tampered with before they read the data off these passports. So... Yeah, like I said, just typical of U.S. government. And then speaking of chips, so Visa is saying that their EMV chip cards, which is the pin and chip cards, and the merchants that use them saw a 70% decline in counterfeit counterfeit fraud between December 2015 and September 2017. So that's probably... Yeah, I'd probably say that's accurate, um, but what's probably happening happening is, you know, the chips, the chipped cards have made counterfeit more difficult. So, essentially, the um, criminals are moving to something that's an easier target because there's lots of merchants out there that still aren't using the EMV chip cards because I think they keep pushing back the deadline for merchants to switch over to it. I know I still run into quite a few merchants that aren't using the cards. So my guess is they're probably focusing on the ones that aren't using the cards instead of the ones that are using the chipped cards because it's a lot easier to counterfeit those. So it kind of makes sense that the counterfeit fraud when that has to do with chipped cards would actually go way down because there's probably lots of easier targets out there. So, I mean, I still think, and I've mentioned this before in the past, I still think the whole plastic credit card things is a, is the whole system is just broken. Um, and they really just need to do away with it and just completely switch over to like something like Apple Pay or something like that instead of, problem is with that, there's Apple Pay and a million other mobile payment systems now. So the whole thing's completely fragmented. And, you know, it's hard, it's, kind of, it's hard for consumers to just have one thing like Apple Pay and be able to use it everywhere because, you know, Walmart has one, other people, Samsung's got one, Google's got their own. Um, so, yeah, so anyway, so the, yeah, I just think the whole plastic credit card thing, the whole system just broken and needs to switch over to something else. But, but anyway, um, at least if you're a merchant and you're using chipped cards, your um, fraud rate should be going down quite a bit. And then next up, we have the story about security certificates. And these are certificates like the ones used with TLS. 
So when you're surfing the web and you see the little green text in your URL window, it turns green and shows you that there's a good certificate in there. So it's certificates um, similar to those. So apparently they are being registered using stolen corporate identities. So not only do we have things like personal identity theft, now we've got corporate identities being stolen and used to create fraudulent security certificates. So, and in one, and apparently in one example, um, there was one seller who was offer, offering certificates using Authenticode, uh, which is something uh, from Microsoft. And they were selling these certificates for upwards of $1,000. So obviously there's a, a bit of a lucrative business out there for stolen security certificates. And, you know, obviously it's going to be used for something malicious um, more times than not. And next up, we have a story about Georgia, and that is Georgia the state, not the country. And they want to expand their computer crime laws to include penalties for accessing a machine of some sort without permission. And that would be even if no information was stolen or damaged, they'd still want penalties for that. And I didn't realize this, so apparently they're only, they are only one of three states where their current law is written this way. And they are simply wanting to change it to kind of bring it more in line with the rest of the states. So I don't necessarily see a huge issue with this, but as the EFF has said, and I mean, they can, you know, lawmakers or states can do this with any law, not just this particular law. Um, the EFF is concerned about them twisting this law and using that against legitimate security researchers. And of course, you know, once you start doing that, now you start kind of chilling security researchers from looking into things and reporting those um, so that, you know, reporting vulnerabilities so they can be fixed and so forth. Um, but yeah, I don't, I mean, I, yeah, I don't think it's as big a deal as they're making it out to be because like I said, George is just trying to kind of bring it in line with everything else. But Again, as, as with any law, um, it could be twisted if, if you know, um, if prosecutors want to twist it in a certain manner. Okay, so to finish up InfoSec, let's talk about ransomware. So there's a new piece of ransomware out there called Thanatos, T-H-A-N-A-T-O-S. Probably not saying it right, but its claim to fame is that it's the first ransomware to use Bitcoin Cash. So most of the ransomware out there, especially when it makes the news, it's typical that it's using Bitcoin. But this one, in addition to Bitcoin and also Ethereum, um, this particular ransomware will take Bitcoin Cash. Now, the problem with this piece of ransomware is that by some chance you get infected with it. Uh, apparently, the, the people who created the code for this didn't do it properly, and when it encrypts the files, it doesn't save the encryption keys anywhere, so it's basically impossible to decrypt it. So even if you pay the ransom, you're most likely not going to get your files back. So as always, be caref careful with ransomware, and especially if you get this one, there's, unless, and, you know, unless somebody else comes up with a way to get your files back, Paying the ransom won't get them back because apparently the encryption keys aren't saved anywhere. And once you pay the ransom, you're still not going to get your files back. So, yeah, for this one, just don't pay the ransom. 
Okay, so on to technology. So this next story has been making the news rounds. So apparently the data extraction company called Celebrate, and they've been in the news before because they sell their data extraction tools to various governments and law enfor enforcement agencies. So they've apparently been informing their customers that they can now break into iPhones running iOS 11. So that's a little worrisome. Even if you have a new device, there's a good chance that they've probably sold something to the government or to a government and or law enforcement agency that allows them to break into even the uh, newest iPhones like the iPhone 10. So my big problem with this is that more than likely they are using unknown vulnerabilities to be able to access data in phones, particularly the ones running iOS 11. So they're using these vulnerabilities to or for financial gain. So instead of reporting these vulnerabilities to Apple, whether they can be fixed, um, they're holding on to them um, so they can make money off of them. So in essence, I'm not really sure how they're all that different from criminal organizations who hoard vulnerabilities or government agencies that hoard vulnerabilities instead of reporting them so they can be fixed. Um, yeah, I just think this is a seriously bad practice for companies to be doing this. Um, know where they're hoarding vulnerabilities like this instead of reporting them so they can be fixed because eventually they're not going to be the only ones that know about these vulnerabilities and once somebody else finds out about the vulnerabilities vulnerabilities criminals or whatever now you start getting malware written for it so for a particular vulnerability that maybe it was discovered by a celebrite or whoever six months ago and apple could have fixed it you know now it's six months down the road somehow that vulnerability gets leaked from Celebrite and now it's in the hands of criminals or whatever. And now they're taking advantage of it where if Celebrite had reported it, it would have most likely been fixed by Apple so that um, attackers couldn't take advantage of it. So, yeah, um, yeah, my opinion is this, this kind of hoarding vulnerabilities for financial gain, whether it's from so-called legitimate companies or criminal organization. So yeah, it's just it's just all bad. All right, next up, and this is something we mentioned a podcast or two ago, uh, Volkswagen and the diesel defeating device. So in the news IoT This Week newsletter, there's a link in there to a video someone put together talking about how the diesel defeat device works. So that's pretty interesting. So definitely take a look at that. And then you may have seen this notice if you're at all involved in cryptocurrency. Um, so a while back, Coinbase was fighting with the IRS because the IRS basically said, hey, we want all the data or specific thing or specific data items from all your customers between 2013 and 2015. So, of course, Coinbase pushed back on this, and, you know, I'm glad they did. They pushed back on the IRS going, no, that's a bit overreach. I mean, if you have specific people in mind you'd like information on, or you can somehow limit the data you're collecting, you know, maybe there's room for a compromise in there. So, anyway, so several, and I forget how long this has gone on. I don't know if it's, it's probably been at least a year at this point. So... 
apparently the compromise is that Coinbase is going to give up data from 13,000 users or yeah, 13,000 customers and it's 13,000 high transaction customers. So if you're on there using Coinbase and you know, you've you know, used, you know, a hundred dollars of Bitcoin or just played with it here and there, then yeah, you're not on the list. They're just looking for big fish. Um, but yeah, I still, still going to be interesting to see how this plays out with the uh, people they are going after. Um, cause if you've one of these people that has high transactions on Coinbase, um, yeah, I'd definitely be probably seeking legal counsel at this point because they're apparently coming after people. And then McAfee. So this is pretty interesting, um, especially since I use a lot of the Amazon devices. So they are developing a new Alexa skill that will allow you to check the security of your network. So they're going to build this, I'm assuming, into routers. And once they put this particular skill or the ability to use a skill in the router so you can use this skill with Alexa, you'll simply be able to say, hey, Alexa, ask McAfee to scan my network. So that's actually pretty interesting. I mean, it's a, something that actually hadn't occurred to me for Alexa to do, but um, yeah, pretty interesting. I'll be, uh, it'll be cool to see how McAfee gets this working and if they get it working um, smoothly and everything to, you know, just kick off a scan or whatever of your network just by uh, talking to Alexa. And then finally under tech, we have the story, and I don't know that this is as big a deal as people are making it out to be, but Apple iCloud data is being stored on Google servers, and I don't know if that's really that big a deal um, as long as Apple is making sure they properly protect the data. I probably would say it doesn't really matter where they have it at, um, unless you get into things like countries and laws in different countries for government seizing data and all that sort of thing. But anyway, they're using Google servers to store iCloud data on it. Looks like they're still using Amazon and they were probably using Microsoft's Azure in the past at some point. But according to the last documentation, it looks like they have, they have narrowed it down to only using Google servers and Amazon. And what I read, the part of the article I read, they were trying to do some of this stuff to kind of cut the cost um, with Amazon so anyway yeah probably not as big a deal as people make it out to be um, because Apple's kind of spreading their data out across all the different or the big cloud providers okay so a couple of more items just to close out the podcast so FirmWalker which is a project I did for finding interesting things and extracted um, IOT device firmware so essentially it searches, once you extract firmware from a device and, and extract the directories, it uses a bash script to search through those directories for things like um, certificates, password files, uh, IP addresses, URLs, email addresses, that sort of stuff. So I wanted to, I've been wanting to rewrite it in something else, like a proper programming language instead of just a bash, bash script. So I'm going to be rewriting that, or actually I've already re or already started rewriting FirmWalker with Python. So it's pretty interesting seeing what the differences are between the coding when you're using Python as opposed to Bash script. So that's actually pretty cool. Um, so hopefully not too, because I mean, FirmWalker is not that complicated, so it really shouldn't take that long to write in Python. Um, 
but nonetheless, it'll still be interesting once I get that get that done. So look for that in the next month or two. Um, and then the last thing, if you happen to have a Mavic Air drone, and I found this on the internet somewhere, um, but if you're looking for a case, if you're looking for something other than like a custom case, especially since there's not a lot of cases out there for the Mavic Air thing right now, since it's such a new drone, the you know just for informational purposes, the Pelican 1400 case. And if you don't know what Pelican cases are, they're really like these freaking indestructible, just hard case for things, car, hard case carrying cases for, you know, whatever you want to put in them. Um, and it basically just has a square block of foam in there and you can cut out the blocks of foam to fit whatever you want to put in there. So if it's a drone or camera or whatever, um, these things are pretty indestructible. But anyway, that particular size Pelican 1400 works for the Mavic Air drone. So if you're looking for something like that, definitely check that out. So that's it for this week on the podcast. As always, I can be reached at podcast at iotthisweek.com, and that's via email. I'm also on Twitter at CraigZ28. So as always, if you have feedback or whatever, um, feel free to email me or hit me up on Twitter. Anyway, that's it for this week, guys. So have a great day.